Well, we've been in a series this fall looking at no perfect people allowed. If you've ever felt like there's a standard, there's a a bar, there's a level you have to get to and you're just not sure you can ever quite reach it, this series is for you and you're in the right place. Uh, in fact, if there, if you, in regards to God, if you think there's a bar or a standard or a level that you can't reach as it relates to God, that feeling is actually a true feeling. None of us can reach or measure up to the standard that God has for us. But this is the amazing, amazing thing about God's mercy and God's grace is that he, in his kindness, sent his own son to be the sacrifice for our sin. And then we, as we've just been singing about, we get to receive Jesus's righteousness in exchange for our sinfulness. And in that sense, we measure up and it's unbelievable. It's, it's the essence of our faith, but it's not the end of it either. And here's the crazy thing about what God does. Not only does he invite us into his, into his presence, not only can we have peace with God through his son Jesus, he actually invites us into his kingdom which means that he is busy doing work in the world and when he invites us in, he says, not only are you in my presence, but I am gonna use you to do, about, to do my work in the world, which is crazy, crazy big because God's doing some crazy big work in our world. But this leaves us with some questions, right? As you have journeyed with faith, if you're a person of faith, at some point God comes along and kind of nudges you and it's like, hey, I want you to step into this. This is the work I'm doing in the world. This is the work I'm doing in your family, in your sphere of influence. And he nudges us and it's like, oh, it stretches us. Because it leaves us with this question. If we're part of the work that God's doing, do we have to have like some kind of super faith, right? Or Do we have to be super gifted to step into the things that God has for us? And the reality is, if if I answer these questions, and if the answer is yes, I'm out. Because I don't always have super great faith, right? Or, Or I don't feel like I'm all that gifted. And if I have to be gifted or have some kind of superman faith or superwoman faith, I just don't know if I reach the level or the bar. Well, over the last few weeks, we've been looking at a guy Uh, His name's Gideon, who God called and said, I want you to be part of the work that I'm doing in your area. And Gideon felt these same things. He was like, I don't know. He he struggled with faith and he didn't know if he had the ability. And God comes to Gideon one day, who's a Jewish guy. He lived during uh, a season when the nation of Israel was being oppressed and ravaged by uh, some enemies called the Midianites. And Gideon's hiding out threshing wheat in a wine press, which, you know, uh, was to hide from the Midianites, and God comes and watches him, and then he declares a name over Gideon, says, mighty warrior. And of course, we all laugh, and Gideon probably chuckled inside. At least his response says he didn't believe it, because Gideon wasn't anything mighty or much of a warrior, right? He's, he's hiding out Uh, threshing wheat in a wine press because he doesn't want the Midianites to know. And God comes and says, no, 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 I'm naming you not based on your past, but I'm naming you based on who you will be in your future through the lens of who I am and my mighty power. You're a mighty warrior. And then he declares this big ask, this big task for Gideon. He says, you're going to be the one through whom I'm going to defeat and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. And Gideon's like, I don't know. And he's like, you got to give me a sign because he didn't have super faith, right? He's like, you got to give me a sign. And God does a sign. And then Gideon's about ready to go. But God says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Now that I know, uh, or Gideon says, are you on my side? And God's like, I'm on your side. And Gideon's like, okay, I'm ready to step in. And God's like, no, 
Before you step in, I want to know, are you with me? And so last week we saw, before he ever went out and did the big task, God had some small tasks for him to do. And what we found out is oftentimes the battle is won and lost long before we get to the battlefield. What you do in your home, in your inner life, in your sphere of influence, the things that you probably and I think, well, that's less consequential. God says that's very consequential. And so God says, before you go and defeat Midian, I want you to go set things right in your home. And, he, and in Gideon's home, uh, his dad owned some land and probably the central place of worship for Baal among the entire uh, community and maybe the county, that area. And God says to Gideon, I want you to tear down the altar to, to, uh, that, that you've been worshiping Baal, this false god to. Take care of your home front before we're going to go take care of the other front. So Gideon steps in because, as we've heard before, uh, you know, until you can be trusted with little, God isn't going to entrust you with much, right? Until you can be trusted with little. And so Gideon has to, has to kind of say, hey, God, you're with me. And God's like, yeah, I'm with you. But now I want to know, are you with me? And so Gideon has, has proven himself in that sense. He's been tr proven trustworthy. And now he's ready to step into the big task. But this leaves some challenges for Gideon. And we've talked about one of them already, the whole area of doubt, right? When you step into the big thing or the, the, the stretching thing that God calls you to, there's all kinds of doubt that, that comes with that. But another thing we're going to see as we continue the story of Gideon is this word lack. And lack's a funny word because when you say the word lack on its own, it feels kind of incomplete, which actually gives you the definition of lack, it's not enough. It's not having enough. And so we always, we tie lack to something. But inevitably, you've experienced lack in your life, haven't you? There's been an area in your life where you're like, I'm just, I'm, I'm lacking. I just lack in this area of my life. Maybe for you, there's been a season or maybe you're in the season right now where you lack the finances you need, right? It's just a lack. It's, you don't have enough. Uh, maybe for you, there's been a season in your life where you lack the expertise or the gifting, right? It's like you had a job or maybe even a spiritual calling to something. You're like, I don't know if I have the gifting or the expertise to step into this. And you experienced lack. Uh, maybe uh, you've experienced lack in other areas like time, right? It's like, I just don't have enough hours in the day. God, I'm lacking, Right? And you've experienced lack. Uh, maybe one of the areas you've experienced lack is in the area of like manpower. You just didn't have enough people, right, in your business or your company or, or the ministry or whatever it is that you feel you're, you're called to. Mandy and I, a number of years, experienced lack in the area of manpower. We were uh, finishing our basement. Our basement wasn't finished when we moved into the house, uh, a previous house. And so we were finishing the basement. We got to the part that's like the worst part in any reno. The drywall, well, actually, mud and taping's the worst, but we were drywalling the ceiling, which is second worst. And drywalling ceilings, if you've ever done it, it's just the worst, right? It takes, like, a lot of strength, a lot of manpower, because uh, drywall for ceilings is 12-foot-long sheets, and it's just super heavy, so it's just Mandy and I. We had some kids, I think, at the time, maybe three or four, uh, but they were like five years and older, and we're good parents, so we kind of have this family rule that unless you're, you know, six or older, you can't drywall ceilings, so we have that. Uh, so it was just her and I, right? So here we are trying, you know, Maddie's holding up two-thirds because she's stronger than me. She's holding up two-thirds in the back, and I'm in the front, you know, got my shoulders on the, my head, you know, trying to screw in, and you, you miss the stud, and then you're just... Oh, you're angry and just like, it's the worst. So we're just like 
we're feeling the lack, right? We're just like, we're full on, like this is the worst thing ever. And uh, we got maybe two, or, two sheets done. I think we're on our third sheet. And the doorbell rings, which is like, we can't get the door, right? Like we're like trying to like, so we're like yelling, you know, just come in. And it took a while. And finally, our friend came in, Ryan. And thank God, he, we were so just praising God. He was older than six. And <laughs> he comes in and he sees he sees us, he just shakes his head and he jumps in, right? And, and it just changed everything. All of a sudden we weren't feeling the lack the same way that we had been previously. But here's the deal is, as we step into the things, God's work in the world, we're gonna, we're gonna experience this lack. Like, do we have enough? And this actually often ties into our doubt. God, really? I just don't know if I have enough. And here's the, we almost exclusively think of lack as bad, it's something to be avoided, something to run away from. But in the story of Gideon, we're actually going to get a new perspective, a God perspective on lack, which expands our understanding of something we often run from. So this is a story of Gideon, right? He's, he's been called. God's proven himself to him. Uh, Gideon's shown himself faithful to God. He's ready to step in, right? But he's going to deal with this thing doubt and then we're going to get the idea this new idea of lack and here's how the story goes now all the Midianites and Amalekites and other eastern peoples joined forces and crossed over the Jordan and camped in the valley of Jezreel just a whole group of people and then we're told then the spirit of the Lord came on Gideon and he blew a trumpet summoning the Abizrites to follow him and this would have been so so encouraging to Gideon because if you remember from last week the Abizrites were his clan in the tribe of, Jew, uh, of Manasseh. This was his clan, and because he had torn down the idol and the worship, the altar to Baal, these were the people that said, hey, you should die. And then remember his father stepped in and said, wait, 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 if Baal's a real god, can't Baal fend for himself? Let Baal deal with him. So they renamed him. They're like, Baal can contend with you. Well, apparently, nothing happened to Gideon. In fact, not only did Things not go bad. Things went really well. The spirit of the Lord came on him and there was this newfound courage in Gideon. And he blows his trumpet and all of a sudden these people who had probably been against him all of a sudden coming around him. Not only that, he sent messengers throughout Manasseh calling them to arms and also into Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali so that they too went up to meet them. Manasseh was his tribe, right? He thought it was the weakest tribe, the least, you know, he's the least clan, the weakest tribe. And these were the people that, that gathered around him, but more than just his clan and tribe, people from other places, Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali came in. And so this army kind of gathers around, and we're told later in the story, 32,000 men join his army. I mean, this would have been so encouraging for Gideon, right? It's like God has proven himself. Now he's ready to step in, and God kind of just provides for him. But doubt is never far away from Gideon. And maybe this is your story too. Doubt is never far away from you. Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you promised, remember you promised and I made that offering and you brought the, the, the fire and consumed and you said you got my back. Look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand as you said. Really, Gideon? Will you actually know? Because I've already done this a number of times, right? I've already done sign after sign and miracle after miracle. Are you sure you're gonna know? But here's what I love about, here's what I love about our Heavenly Father. 
Because if I was God, I would have thrown out Gideon a long time ago. Right? And if you were God, I don't know you'd be any better. Right? I mean, let's be honest. You have little faith. Come on, I can find someone better than you. And yet God in his kind, his patient compassion. Look at what happens next. This is so, I think this is so encouraging. And that is what happened. Gideon said, hey, just show up and give me this. I need to know. And God's like, I've already done this. And God in his kindness says, okay, I will prove to you again. And that's exactly what happened. Gideon rose early the next morning. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. <laughs> and then, oh, Gideon. Gideon said to God, don't be angry with me, but let me just make one more request. And he says, don't be angry with me because he knows God should be angry with me, right? If this is like, really, Gideon? And he goes on, he says, allow me one more test with the fleece. But this time, make the fleece dry and let the ground be covered with dew. And this was the greater miracle because in the first one, the ground was going to be dry and the fleece wet. But that would always happen, right? I mean, if there was a lot of dew and you had a wool fleece, the wool fleece would get, would get wet. And then when the sun rises, the, dr- the ground would dry quickly. The, the sun would burn off the dew quickly. But that wool fleece would be so saturated, it would take a lot longer to dry. So it's like, kind of a miracle but not a big miracle but now he asks for a big miracle he says i want you to burn off the the dew from the fleece but the ground should still be dry right this was a bigger ask and that night scripture doesn't have it but that night god in his mercy and grace and kindness and patience did so only the fleece was dry all the ground was covered with dew and gideon was given the sign to help him erase his doubt. And God says, would you step into this? And here's the interesting thing about the story. I've got big picture, kind of pull out from the story. God first comes to Gideon and says, hey, I want you to do this. And God says, well, or Gideon says, you gotta give me a sign. God's like, here's a sign. But then before he steps into his next step, God says, whoa, I've got something for you now. And the same thing happens again. Gideon's like, okay, I'm ready to step in. I just need a sign. So God gives him a sign. And we think what happens next is God's going to say, okay, let's go. You got your 32,000 men. Let's go. But now it's God's turn. And God comes back at Gideon. And this has to do with that idea of lack and a new definition, a new understanding, an expanded understanding of that word lack. We're told early in the morning, Jerubbel, that's Gideon, because he'd been renamed, and all his men camped at the spring of Herod, the camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. They've got their 32,000 men. Gideon has erased his doubt. God has erased it for him. He's like, I'm ready to step in. And God says, whoa, 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 I've got something for you. And this is what God says is so interesting. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. And Gideon's like, really? Really? Like 32,000 is too many? I mean, we hear the, like 32,000, we're like, that's a lot of men. But in comparison to the other army, and let me show you the other army. In verse 12, we're told the Midianites and Malachites and all the other eastern peoples had settled in the valley thick as locusts. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand of the seashore. Their camels you couldn't count. Like we can count 32,000 men, but this is like, this is a ton. This army is so huge. And so Gideon steps in. He's like, I've only got 32,000 men. God, can you do the thing with the fleece? Because I need to know you've got my back. And God's like, I've got your back, but now I have something for you. 
you have too many men. And Gideon's like, huh? Really? I don't think I have too many men. And then God tells us why. It has to do with that idea of lack, a new understanding of lack. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands. Or Israel would boast against me saying, my own strength has saved me. See, God is concerned about two things. His glory because he deserves it all and your faith. God is concerned about his glory because he deserves it all and your faith. And God knew, and he uses this strong word, I I don't even know. Obviously, God could have delivered Midian with 32,000 men, right? I mean, he had the, he's God. He could have done it with 32,000. But he says, I cannot, in essence, say, I will not because I'm so concerned about my glory and your faith. If I do it with 32,000 men, you're gonna be tempted to say, look at us. Look at what we did. Look at what our hand has done. And it will destroy your faith in me. You're gonna try and steal my glory. And when you steal glory every time, it destroys your faith. You misplace your trust. And what we see about lack in the story of Gideon, that we see lack almost exclusively as bad, something to be avoided. And God comes along and says, "Uh -uh uh-uh-uh, lack can actually be a gift. Lack, the things that you don't think you should have that you think you need, can actually be a gift that keeps us focused on God. Lack can actually be a gift that gets us focused on the glory of God and our faith begins to grow because we see his hand at work in things that we could have never done on our own. See, the way God put it is, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands or Israel would boast against me saying, my own strength has saved me. So God calls Gideon. Gideon says, are you on my side? God says, I'm on your side. Oh, before you go, you gotta deal with home. And then God says, okay, step into your thing. And Gideon's like, wait, are you on my side? God's like, I'm on your side. Okay, I'm ready. No, you're gonna steal glory and you're gonna lose faith. So we need, to, we need to whittle down your army. And that's what God does next. Now, announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. And this was actually, God had said this in the law way, way earlier, hundreds of years earlier through Moses. He actually had told them, he said, hey, when your officers um, uh, gather together for war, if anyone is afraid or faint-hearted, let them go home so that his fellow soldiers will not become disheartened too. This was part of the law. So God's like, I put it in the law. Let's just follow what I've already said. So he says, if any of you want are scared, go home. And 22,000 men left, which only left 10,000. So if Gideon was like, I don't know if we can do like, Endless amount of camels against our 32,000. God's like, you got too many. Really? Yeah, let's take out two-thirds. He's got 10,000 left. And God comes to Gideon and said, there are still too many men. Take them down to the water and I will thin them out for you there. And then God does this crazy thing to thin them out. I'll kind of read. It's interesting. So God says to him, this, if I say this one shall go with you, he can go with you. 
But if I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. And here's how we're going to figure it out. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who keep uh, or kneel down to drink. In essence, those that kneel down to drink, they can't see because they're drinking the water from their mouths as opposed to those who grab water and then drink this way so they can see. He separates them out. 300 of them drank, cupping their hands, lapping like dogs. And that's not derogative. Anyways, so all the rest got down on their knees to drink. So the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men that lapped, I will save you. Notice who's going to do the saving? I will save you. And I will give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. If Gideon didn't think he had enough people with 32,000, God whittles it down Two-thirds gone, right? You're down to you know, 10,000. And then God says, you still have too many. In fact, let's just take over 99% of your army and send them home, right? He's less, left with less than 1%. God says, I can work with that. I can work with that. And undoubtedly, as Gideon faces this, because you know Gideon by this point, right? There's like one consistent thing in Gideon's life, two actually, God and doubt, those two things are just always in Gideon's life. And you can imagine Gideon's like, oh no. God, are you with, are you, <laughs> we only got 300 now. See, everything that he thought he needed to accomplish what God had called him to had been stripped. All he had left to look to was who? The Heavenly Father who had come through for him. This was going to be about God's glory and it was going to be about building his faith. But this time, again, God in his goodness, in his compassion, he doesn't wait for Gideon to say, God, can you do another sign thing for me? Because I'm really worried. God just gets proactive and gives him a sign. We're told this, if you, God says to him, if you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura and listen to what they are saying. Afterward, you will be encouraged to uh, attack the camp. So Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. I had a dream, he was saying, and in ancient times, dreams meant a lot. It was like, this was kind of like telling for the future, right? Something important was about to happen, and the dream was going to let them in on what was about to happen. And this is a crazy dream. A round loaf of barley, uh, a, round, uh, a round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. In essence, the guy's like, I had this dream and like this bread just came and crushed us all, right? He's like, this is bad news. And the other guy interprets it. He says, his friend responded, this can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God, God has given. Even they knew this wasn't gonna be Gideon. Even they, God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. <laughs> and when Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down and he worshiped God. He said, God, you are gonna do this. And you know the end of the story. If you don't know the end of the story, there was this crazy thing, the 300 soldiers at night created this great ruckus, and the, you already know, the Midianite camp, they had this sense, the whole camp knew, we are doomed and the moment there was pitch blackness and this ruckus, the people were so filled with fear, they were just like, they must be coming to kill us, so anything that moves, they went to kill, and in essence, the army destroyed themselves. And Gideon won a battle. God won a battle through Gideon. 
And eventually more people would be brought in to keep fighting that battle. But it was God's hand. Israel would never, ever say, look what our hand has done. Never. Because God had given them a gift. Something that you and I, often when we receive it, we think, that's not a gift. But he had given them the gift of lack. This is the sense of we don't have enough. And when God came through, his glory was, was shown and their faith was built. See, lack can be a gift that can keep us focused on God. Lack can actually be a blessing in disguise, which means this. Lack is rarely dressed up like blessing. It dresses itself up like sometimes like a curse. Like, God, you're not coming through for me. Like, God, where are you? And God all along is saying, no, no, no. Would you look to me? I'm giving you something that maybe you think isn't what you need. But it's exactly what you need. See, lack isn't always a gift. Uh, Obviously, there's lack that we experience that's the result of sin sin and stupidity, right? There's sin in the world and there's lack in the world because of greed and selfishness and abuse. That's not from God. So not all lack is a gift. And of course, you've probably, I've experienced lack in my life from stupidity. It's like foolish decision, right? It wasn't really like sin. It was just, that wasn't smart use of money. And now I'm lacking. It's like, am I going to blame God for that? Or is that just just me, right? So we experience lack that's not the result of a blessing from God. But there are times, there are times when God actually pulls things out from us for our good, for our faith. It can be a blessing in disguise. So the question may be, So how much is enough? As it relates to walking with faith and how much is enough, and the the writer of Proverbs wrestles with this. And he says something interesting. He writes it this way. He says, Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, and here's why he says, just give me what I need. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. See, the writer of Proverbs in his wisdom said, there's a temptation when you have too much, and there's a temptation when you have too little. And notice he does not say this is what will happen. There are rich people who have a lot of trust in God, and they know it's all God's hand. And there's poor people that do not resort to stealing. But there's a temptation for the rich and poor, and the temptation is, I may, I may, if I have too much, I may say, Who's the Lord? I don't need him. What the, what the writer of Proverbs is saying, God, I, I want to have this constant dependence on you. I want to have this constant dependence on you. But here's the thing about having enough. And this isn't, like, I can't find this in scripture anywhere, so this is just elven wisdom coming through, so you can, this next part, take it or leave it, okay? But this is my kind of observation of our desire to have just enough. Often not having too much feels like not having enough to us. Which means not having too much feels like lack. Which means our definition of having enough and God's definition of you having enough are not always the same. And along the way we say, God, I don't have enough like Gideon. I don't know if I can. And God says, no, you have too much. And Gideon's like, what? And God's like, my glory is at stake and your faith is at stake. And I cannot deliver. I cannot do the thing you're asking me. I cannot do the miracle with what you have. 
And Gideon's, his definition of having enough and God's definition were not the same. And often we experience this as lack and we resist it. And God says, no, 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 you have enough. You have enough. Lack can actually be a gift. It keeps us focused on God. You know, one of the things you might have in this kind of a sidetrack, in the story of Gideon, you're like, yeah, but I kind of want God to deal with me like he did with Gideon, right? Okay, so Gideon had some doubt and he had this lack thing, but God showed up a lot of times with a miracle. And God showed up a lot of times with a sign. And right now you're thinking, God, would you just give me a sign? God, would you just do a miracle to show me that you are with me? And God hasn't. And I have a sneaky suspicion when God doesn't come through with a sign and God doesn't give you a miracle, it might be your divine heavenly father giving you a compliment that you don't like. And the compliment is this. If God hasn't given you a sign, it might be because he thinks you already have enough faith. And all the times we say, God, I need a little more. God, I need you to show up. God, I need you to do this miracle. And you ask, and James tells us, You don't have because you don't ask. So you've been doing everything God says. You ask and you're doing it with a pure heart and you're saying, God, would you show up? And God says no. We get so frustrated. God, you haven't come through for me. And God may be giving you a heavenly father compliment saying, you actually have enough faith. And I don't like that compliment. I just want God to do the miracle every time, right? And God's saying here, because here's the deal. If God is good and he is good, and God will never not give us the things that we actually need, then we need to trust him when he doesn't give us what we ask for that maybe we don't actually need it. We may not need it. See, lack can be a gift that keeps us focused on God. But some of you, you're smart, and you already know. Lack doesn't always keep us focused on God. Oftentimes when we lack, we turn to panic more than we turn to prayer. We turn to panic more than we turn to God. And I'll close the message with kind of a personal story in this. Uh, as I was preparing this message, the week I was preparing this message, uh, I was struggling with lack. Um, I don't know if you've had, ever had a week like this, but in this particular week, it seemed like things that could go wrong went wrong, things that shouldn't go wrong went wrong, and then a whole bunch of stuff just got added to my week that I was not ready for. And I remember one day, Andrew and I were in the office, and partway through the day, he's like, Alvin, you have been so productive today. I guess I was just like phone calls and meetings and emails and just getting tons of stuff done. He's like, you're being so productive today. And I said, Andrew, I have a list of things, and I haven't touched one of them, which means I'm really far behind. And I had this constant sense that entire week. And I, in my head, I was saying, God, I don't have enough hours in the day. God, I don't have enough days in the week. Like the God of the universe made a mistake when he created seven days 24 hours, like he didn't know. But it's like, God, you haven't, God, I I am lacking the time. I'm lacking the energy. I'm lacking the personnel. I'm lacking, I don't have what I need. And I was struggling, and I'm doing this message right on Gideon, and God's like, you have too much. It's like, I I, I was like, I don't have enough. And on top of, you know, my wrestle with feeling like I just didn't have enough in that regard, uh, on our home front, Maddie and I were one night wrestling through uh, a personal kind of family thing where we felt lack. And we're like, God, how are you going to come through? And there was no way that we could imagine how God was going to come through. And we were wrestling this out. And I don't know if she turned to panic, but I was definitely turned into panic. And we weren't praying. 
And now we weren't real spiritual. I mean, we had like nothing else. So at the end of the night, we're like, maybe we should pray. And we didn't spend hours praying. We weren't, I told you, we weren't real spiritual. We were a lot like Gideon. I was a lot like Gideon. And we prayed. It was a short prayer. And we said, God, you, you got to, I don't know, come through. <laughs> and God doesn't always do this in our lives. And I don't, he probably doesn't do this in your life every time. But in this particular situation, the next morning, I got a text from Mandy. And in a way we couldn't have imagined, God completely did a miracle and brought through the, the thing we had brought to him, our family thing. And it was like God was saying, Elvin, I've been doing this for a long time. And there's a song that's been ringing through my head this fall. And it's by Sean Curran. It's called Catch Me Singing. It's this kind of desire of the songwriter to say, God, I want to be the kind of person that you catch singing no matter what season I'm in. You catch me singing. You catch me praising. You catch me praying. And in the bridge, there's this line in the song that says, you've been God for a long time. And it's kind of the prophet's version of the ancient of days. It's this picture of God that God's not on a like steep learning curve on the whole God thing. That God's not green, it's like he's trying to figure things out. That God is the ancient of days, he's been God for a long time, he's been God eternal. And when we come to him and we're like, we're panicking, we're like, I don't know how, and God just kind of did this miracle, it's kind of this giddy moment, I'm like, thank you. And God said, I've been doing this for, you can trust, why don't you trust me? I've been God for a long time, and the way the rest of the, the bridge goes in the song is that you've been God for a long time. You're the final word, you're the finish line. Everything is going to be all right, because you've been God for a long time. And I was facing lack, and I was turning to panic. And God would send a little reminder, and you know, he didn't, everything didn't just get rosy. Things at work were still like, it was a challenge. And I was wrestling through, as I was doing a, a message on Gideon. Like, I don't know if I should be preaching this because I still, I struggle with this so much. But what I saw is God was giving me a gift. It was the gift of lack. And it built my faith and he got all the glory. It built my faith and he got all the glory. So I want to ask you today, in what area of your life are you saying, God, I'm lacking and maybe you are, and maybe God says you are, and here's how I'm going to come through. Maybe God's definition of lack and your definition are different. And maybe he's given you a gift that's going to drive you to your knees. and Put your trust in him. In what areas of your life are you saying, God, I need, and, and you're starting to panic because you're trying to take control of outcomes. And what would it look like for you to turn those things over to prayer? In closing, uh, there's a verse that we've been memorizing as a church, Psalm 28, 7, and we're going to read this together. And this verse has kind of three aspects to it. The first one is declaring who God is, and then a declaration of what I want as the reader, as the psalm writer. I want this to be my heart. And the third is outcomes, which we leave to God. And I want to close with this verse. And as you think about the area where you are experiencing lack, would you bring that lack to this verse, to the truth of God, to your heart's position in this circumstance and leave outcomes 
to your heavenly father. So let's read this together and declare this over the area of struggle that you have in your life. Let's read together. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him and he helps me. One more time, let's read it together. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him and he helps me. Father, as we come to you with all the things that we lack and the space that the gap that's between what we think we need and what we have right now, thank you that God, you are the God that fills the gap. And God, we declare you are our strength and you're our shield and we wanna be a people that turn to prayer where we declare, Jesus, we have put our trust, our heart, the essence of who we are trusts in you. And I know right now as some of us think about the area where we lack, that's a hard statement to make. And God, some of us are looking for a sign and some of us are looking for a miracle and we're saying, God, show me, I don't know if, if, if I have enough. God, help us to be those who put our trust in you because you are our strength and our shield. And thank you, God, that you deal with outcomes and you will be the one to help us. Give us the courage and the strength to step into that trust. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We trust you have been encouraged and challenged in your faith journey. If you're desiring prayer, want more information on our church, want to partner with us or be involved in any way, please go to our website at mountoliveefc.com. We'll see you next time.